All right. Welcome back to On the Ground, uh, a podcast specifically tailored for the long-suffering patient saints <laughs> at Hill City Baptist Church. The poor suckers at Hill City. Yeah, all four of you. Uh, yeah, our new our our New Year's resolve to uh, towards regularity has been thwarted. Already machine gunned out of the sky. Uh, I'll go ahead and take full blame for that. Actually, Al, you've been pretty good at wanting us to start for a while, but we're here now. Uh, I am here, Ben, Alex, Matteo, hey, um, Malachi, brother Rylan has about 43 things on his plate uh, right now and has decided, I think, wisely to shave off a few things where he can, but his legacy carries on yes. uh, in our hearts and minds Yeah, and in Matteo. Uh, and now it's... Big shoes to fill. Yeah, that's right. Uh, we're going to talk about time management today because that is just a perennial challenge, for, I think, for all human beings. And also just because we're already both just such fantastic time managers. Yeah, I mean, you you asked the expert to be on the show this week. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. you want some expert advice? Matthew, how are you in time management? You know, I think uh, as the wind blows, I, I time it quite well. That's about all I can say there. Oh, okay. Yeah, he's he. I, I would say Matthew is good at time management. Okay. Well, suffice it to say we're all learning. Malachi... Are you, you you seem like a good time manager. Uh, yeah. Okay. All right. Well, you know what? We're all learning here, and this is going to be good for all of us, I think. Um, Al, you sent out an article uh, last month uh, written by the legend Doug Wilson. The legend. Um, it was called, and it still is called, I think, Seven Thoughts on Time Management, or Seven Principles for Time Management. Yeah. Uh, and I think a lot of us, I, I, I know I did, found it really helpful. Uh, and I thought maybe what we could do is just kind of go through those seven principles, maybe have some uh, discussion after each one, hopefully uh, draw yep. some helpful applications. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll see how far we get. We mm-hmm. don't have to obviously do all seven today, but we will launch into that. You can actually find the full article on Doug Wilson's blog and my blog, and that's at Doug wils.com d-o-u-g-w-i-l-s.com it's a great blog to follow you'll laugh you'll cry you'll get angry you'll wonder why you're reading it but no it's actually really it's a great blog uh he's kind of like a a reincarnation of chesterton he's got that joviality and the sharpness and the quickness of thought just a Mm -hmm. great writer so Mm -hmm. recommended so thought number one um doug states that the point uh, in our productivity is not necessarily efficiency, but fruitfulness. Yes. Uh, and he says, you should want to be fruitful like a tree, not efficient like a machine. Mm-hmm. This fruitfulness is a function of God's blessing, and it is surrendered work that is blessed work. Seek that blessing and seek it through concrete surrender. Such surrenders are not abstract. Put your Isaacs on the altar. Every interruption is a chance to surrender your work to the only one who can bless your work. So fruitfulness and efficiency. Mm-hmm. I think uh, some of us confuse and overlap those things, but they're, they're different things, aren't they? Very different things. I've, I thought that was the most helpful 
point or or it hit me the closest i found it to be a a paradigm shift in my mind that mm. when you hear it it's like well obviously right but realizing that a lot of what i was striving after albeit uh unsuccessfully was efficiency when the goal in the bible is is fruitfulness be fruitful and on multiple levels that we bear fruit ultimately to god that we bear the fruit of the spirit in our lives and um, efficiency may be a tool to that end but it is not the end and a lot of people think if they make their lives more and more efficient they will be more and more productive um, or they will be more and more fruitful they will accomplish what they need to but that's actually not true and one of the main reasons that is is that the things that are the most important, the fruit that is the most important does not grow through efficiency alone. So when you think about relationships, when we think about um, raising children, when we think about friendship, when we think about, um, well, really any relationship, you can't reduce it to efficiency. Right. So you're, you're kind of saying that the fruit is... Well, how would you how would you define fruit? Because fruit is not sheer output. Yeah, it's not yeah. just producing. Yeah. Um, what what is what would you how would you define fruit? So fruitfulness in a relationship, yeah. biblically, is love, mm. is growth in Christ like character, which is you know displayed in the fruit of the spirit: love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, um, self control. These types of things, and we bear that fruit and Jesus gives um, agricultural analogies of trees remain in me um, and you will bear much fruit. And it's not, it's not, obviously they didn't have machines then as we know now. So that's, you know, not to overstate the case, but I think that there's a reason in Psalm one, the, the righteous man is like a tree planted mm. by streams of living water mm. and, and the most important growth in our own personal life into the image of Jesus, relationally, helping one another to grow into that image, and um, loving one another out of the image of Jesus, it doesn't lend itself to an efficient process. And if you if you treat your children like the problem is when you reduce things to efficiency, if it is not efficient, then it is wrong. So that's the problem. Efficiency is yeah. something we should. Yeah, if that's consider. your bottom line. It's yeah, be if efficient. that's the bottom yeah. line. So the, the scripture says the days are evil. You know, make the most of your time, and you need to think what is the best use of my time. Absolutely, but the best, I guess, what I I hear him pushing back on the thing is helpful is the best use of time. We need to not quickly assume that means the most efficient use of our time. Mm. Those may be the same thing. Or they may not be, right? If you if you can do something better, faster, by all means. But there's some things that are just not efficient. And 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 that and that is the kingdom of God, yeah. isn't it? I mean it's 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 the whole narrative story of scripture. Yeah. It's God doesn't choose the most powerful and influential nation. No. He chooses Israel. Yeah. God doesn't choose the the most wise and wealthy and influential. He chooses the yeah. weak and the foolish. And and um, it just 
it's it's a very kind of human it's a way for us to to kind of um take back some of that power look what i did look what yeah. I, you know but at the end of the day and 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 even how fruit is presented in this it's the fruit of the spirit yeah it's not the fruit of the flesh it's it's yeah. something almost uh alien to us yeah. it's not something we can just produce in ourselves yeah and efficiency is the least amount of um output for the most results kind of thing and yeah and that's just not the way the world works on so many levels. Some things work that way for sure. I mean, if you can send a text message as opposed to writing a letter and attaching it to a pigeon, you know, by all means, you know, that's that's something that we are permitted to use a more efficient process in. Or if you can um, keep a calendar on your phone or send an email or, um, you know, plan your travel route effectively so you don't waste time. Yes, that's efficiency is a good thing. Yeah. But, but not automatically. But God's be, goal yeah. for your life is not that you're efficient. Yeah. It's that you're efficient so that you can do good things. You can produce good fruit. The fruit is the goal. But often for there's a certain kind of person where efficiency is moved from the status of a helpful tool to the goal. And yeah. that's the problem. Yeah, look how many mm-hmm. things. That's I did the today, problem, yeah. and, and we you look at this in a church. That's why a pastor is called to teach with all patience, and because growth in our in our own lives, growth in other people, is a slow, unpredictable, mysterious process with a thousand variables that you cannot control, and we are like the farmers. Um, who who sow the seed and go to sleep and wake up in the morning and there's there's a crop and we don't know how it got there because there's things outside of our control. In other words, there's things that efficiency can't touch. And yet that is real fruit. That is lasting fruit. If you treat your kids this way, then they'll they will. I mean, unless you don't understand children or know them, they are not efficient. And if your goal for their lives is efficiency, then you'll always be riding them. You will be, as it tells Paul tells fathers not to um, exasperate exasperate yeah. their children. Want to be an exasperating father? You know, be the kind of guy who prioritizes efficiency over all things. That that's a good way to do it. Yeah, um, children are not efficient. Efficient, and if we're humble, we're not efficient. Right. Yeah. One thing that uh, that point reminds me of is capacity. So, like fruitfulness over efficiency. Um, the thing that I always think of is like my own capacity of what I can handle in my life. I'm I I think towards efficiency, but it's actually sw- uh, quite encouraging when you think about it as fruitfulness. Is like, well, whatever your capacity is, mm-hmm. if your capacity is this much versus much more and if you look to someone else who has a larger capacity to do more and you might be discouraged by that but really if whatever capacity you have is fruitful then you're doing good yeah Yeah. and that's at least part of what's at the heart of the uh the parable of the talents you know the person with the five talents he he gave five more and the person with three they were all fruitful yeah they were all faithful yes uh their fruit wasn't equal and yeah. that's that's fine. And that's how God's ordained uh, the members of his body. I, I think you touched on something really important. When you say capacity, I'm thinking creaturely um, finitude. I'm thinking what it need, means as a creature to live within limits. 
and the absolute pursuit of efficiency as a goal is an impossible burden because you can always be more efficient. So, you yeah. know, for instance, um, you have a cell phone, but it's three years old now mm-hmm. and it slows down and you don't have the latest app and it's like, okay, well you can, you can get better at that. Or you're, you, you finally have a good routine in the morning, but it's like, but if I cut carrots at night, you know, and the, it's like, now if I cut carrots at lunch, like there's always things you can do. Yeah. And if the, if the goal is the maximal efficiency, you are actually just living under a crushing burden that's frankly a God complex. God is the only one who could do, can speak the world to existence through words. He can do the maximal um, productivity with the minimal effort. That's what it means to be God. For us, we don't function that way. And it's not a deficiency in us. It's actually a built-in feature of being a human. So there's just this tension of we're not dismissing using your time wisely, but we're proposing use your time wisely as a creature. Use your time wisely as a tree and not a machine. Yeah. You know, and that actually looks very different. And use your time wisely as someone who doesn't have to have every moment spoken for um and and there's a place for leisure there's a place for unpredictability yeah Um, there's a place for life and there's a there's a tension to this there's another side to this that we also need to bring order to the chaos we need to establish order we need to take dominion we need to realize that um, we need to not simply let life pass us by and and be passive in this process yeah. Absolutely. But it's more, I think you just nailed it, Matthew. It's more like, what are my limits as a human? And let me do the best with those. Also, like, we're not supposed to be lazy, but having a time of rest is fruitful. Ex- yeah, rest. Ben, and, like, Ben, you've talked about this even before you've read books on leisure. And our culture is so busy. Yeah, and every- it's almost like whenever when you ask people what they're doing, everyone says, "Now, don't tell me you're busy because we all are." And I get it, but it's like, but we all are. <laughs> when people ask me what's going on, it's like, I'm busy, man. And there's there's a we're just seeing that that burden, that tyranny driving us. Like there's no end to what I ought to be doing, and there's no there's no place for rest in that world. And Jesus um, himself as a human being took rest. He didn't heal everyone. He didn't, it wasn't efficient to go to the other side of the lake. It wasn't efficient to take a nap, but it was the right thing to do. And and so we need a better understanding of these things too. Uh, I think that's a good segue in our second principle. There's a few more questions I had on that, but it just, as we're on that line of thought, he says, Build a fence around your life and keep that fence tended. You should have a life outside your work and your family should be enjoying that life together with you. That's the allowing the interruption of leisure into the world of work, right? Go to work at a reasonable, predictable time and come home at a reasonable, predictable time. Obviously, that's going to be different Like in the pastoral ministry. It's not that easy, but keep your work on a regular schedule, not an absolute schedule. If the barn catches fire, allow that to interrupt your schedule. 
But if the barn catches fire three times a week, then perhaps some preventative thinking is in order. That's, that's <laughs> Doug Wilson. <laughs> when, I've been there. Yeah. When you're driven by the tyranny of the urgent, most of the urgencies aren't. Uh, let the fence hold. So we have we have a kind of paradox here um, that that we just need to keep allowing interruptions, uh, not being so busy that you can't you know throw baseball with your kid or or yeah. allow someone in who's just dropped by, but only in so far as they interrupt they are interruptions and yeah. not the norm of your yeah. life. I like what he says. What's he say? The tyranny of the the urgent. tyranny of the urgent. Yeah, and I've lived I lived there. I was just telling Malachi. I think. You know, when I burned out is because I've been living my life under the tyranny of the urgent. There was no limit to the needs that I was responsible to meet. And these were heavy, heavy things. They were far, far beyond my capacity. And I didn't prioritize, according to scripture, what are my first priorities to my wife, to my children, then to the church, then outside of that. And when your priorities and limitations aren't shaped by scripture... Um, you just can't have the capacity to deal with these things. And limitations, um, habits and routines. We yeah. live in a culture that has no habits and routines. Like even the natural rhythms are circadian rhythm. They're, they're, they're not natural anymore. I mean, lights stay on late. We look at screens. We don't follow the sun. We don't get up with it. We don't get down mm-hmm. with it. People work shift work. People work irregular hours. And then we waste time on netflix all night and there's just no routine but the human routine is partly an expression of our creatureliness of our limitation there's been so much research done now on habits and basically um is it like 70 percent of your life 70 to 80 percent of your life ought to be lived on habit on routine and 10 to 20 percent ought to be kind of your willpower making decisions and stuff and when you are always making decisions about what should I be doing, what's my priorities, you get mental fatigue and you eventually burn out. And uh, so I've found that helpful, you know, for my own productivity. It's I need to not just wake up every day and say, what are all the things I could do? And say, those are things I'm responsible to do. Say, what does the Bible tell me is my first priority, second priority, third? Let me talk to my wife and form some habits and routines and let me submit myself in humility to those things. I was um, I'm reading a book. It's called uh, Peace Like a River by Leif Anger. It's, it's a fiction. He's kind of Wendell Berry-esque, but he, he, there's a quote in there that's great. Uh, he says that um, routine is the sly assassin of worry. Mm. Um, and it yes. struck me that um, without that routine... Worry has no assassin. It doesn't. It doesn't have. It has doesn't have something that can counter or answer it. Yeah. So we're we're forced to live in in perpetual worry and anxiety. And yes. It's it's the routines that are God's gift for us to actually escape those worries and anxieties to some extent. And I think the routine is an act of faith because a routine is saying I won't do this. I will do this. Yeah. It's saying when you wake up in the morning. And instead of opening the scriptures, you feel as though it's far more important to think who wrote me last night. Did my coworkers get back to me? You know, all of these things, which are perhaps real, they are important, but they're not the most important. Yeah. The the routine 
the routine requires faith and faith is the enemy of anxiety. You know what I mean? It's not the routine in itself that slays anxiety, but a routine is an expression of faith and humility and dependence and trust. And that there's no room for anxiety to grow there, which is a sharp rebuke to myself. Well, there's something actually I've learned from you, Alex, is the analogy, and I'm sure we've all heard it before uh, in previous sermons. It's the well-worn trail. You know, when yeah. you when you're plowing your own trail through the forest and you're hacking down the weeds and you're trying to get through and you're just mm. making a different trail every time, it becomes cumbersome and yeah. you get worn out and all the things that come with that. But if you're walking down a trail that's the same trail every time, not that things shouldn't change and I won't go down that route, but you know, you create the habits by going down a well-worn trail and therefore it being well-worn becomes easy. Automatic. Yeah. Um, how do we, how do we prioritize? You said the, the importance just, I'm just thinking, putting this on the ground here as, as, as we're thinking about, um, prioritizing uh, kind of a triage list of all of the seemingly urgent needs, yeah. all of the fires that are burning that we can't possibly all put out. Um, what are some what are some ways we can do that? How, how do we yeah how do we put those in 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 order yeah. uh, from most urgent to least? So I think one of the most important things is to develop categories of responsibility, spheres of responsibility. So instead of every day looking at the needs and then asking, should I do this? First say, what are my responsibilities? And then fit needs into that. Right. So we look at, we read the scriptures to know what our priorities are. And we realize if you're married, that's to your spouse. The spouse is your first priority. And then your children. And that even becomes, even for a pastor, that becomes more central than even to the church. And um, moving from there, we realize that we are brothers and sisters in Christ, and we have a responsibility to the family of God. And Paul says, um, consider how to do good to all, especially those who are part of the household of God. Mm-hmm. And that there's a, there's a greater responsibility we have towards our families and a greater responsibility we have towards our local church family. Um, and then we branch out from there. What is my responsibility to my coworkers, my employers, these types of things? And, but if we don't have those things set already, then we just look at the needs. And that yeah. is, you can't do that, right? Um, yeah, no, that's helpful. Yeah. Matt, do you, do you want to say? Yeah, um, is a little bit less um, consistent as that, but I would say to add to it, it's like learning when to say no. It's yeah. sometimes very, very helpful um, and like prioritizing when you could say it. Like if it's something small and you have a lot on your plate, you know, you might just have to say no. Yeah. Like you can't add another one on, which Rylan is a great example here. He's got a bunch of things going on and it's like, well, I actually can't really add another thing to my plate right mm-hmm. now. He and of course sired there's, a small army. Yes, yes. And obviously there's the emergency things, but I think we're talking about... Yeah, more the day-to-day things that may come up. Accountability and community and friends really help you with this too because as much as we need to sort this out, it's just hard. 
it's hard to know what are those things that I should be making an exception to, you know? And what are the things... Okay, has my barn caught on fire because of reasons outside of my control or is it because of me? And I've personally found it helpful, even with Rylan and Ben, and you guys to to some degree, to have close friends who know you, know your family rhythms and routines, are constantly checking in to say, like, are you being fruitful? You know, not are you busy. (laughs) Like, we know you're busy. You're always busy. But, like, are you doing what you should be doing? What are you doing? And to kind of to have that is, like, a very reassuring thing. But it's not even all up to me to figure this out, to figure out this balance, to figure out my priorities, to make sure I'm doing everything I just talked about on this podcast. It's like, yeah, I, I've got my ideals and my goals, but I need help applying those. I mean, Beck and I reached a place in our life and marriage where we were in a at a crisis stage and it was so awesome to just meet up with the leadership of the church and members of the church at a house at Ryland's house and just kind of say this is where we're at and we don't know the answer mm-hmm. and it's like it was so freeing for us to just hear from our friends and brothers and sisters like well we think you should do this it's like, great thanks you know so that's another thing meaningful community people who know you are just so help so um necessary to help us keep our priorities for sure um this one's good number three perfectionism paralyzes chesterton once wonderfully observed that anything worth doing is worth doing badly (laughs) (laughs) the sign of a fruitful worker is that he understands the critical difference between that won't cut it, and that is just fine. Yeah, mm. that's good. That's good. What what do you, what is behind the pursuit of perfectionism? What what I think we all experience it to some degree. Yeah. But what what I'm just curious uh, as to your thoughts as yeah. to what you think is behind that. Well, I know in me, it's I really struggle with that. I mean, I've been trying to write a blog post for about eight years now. It's, and, I'm looking forward to that. It's going to be a great blog post. Yeah, well, and the thing is, I am I am absolutely a perfectionist. When I was a teenager and a young boy, I had massive breakdowns because I went from literally top of the class to if I couldn't do something, I literally melted down. So I went from like skipping math. I skipped a whole year of math and English. I literally didn't take it because <laughs> I just was so good at it to the the year after almost failing. I got 51%. And I had no category for just working at something, being satisfied with not knowing everything. It was like all or nothing. And Mm. I'm still that way. So the two things I see is one, a God complex. It's the kind of arrogant assumption that I can be perfect. And that's even an attainable goal. But once you realize that's actually not possible for humans, you're never actually going to do that then you learn to be content with something else. The other thing is um, like a fear of man. You know, right. you, you, you want to make sure what you're putting forward. Like I often think as a pastor when I write things, what would such and such a person, like I'm imagining a professor of mine, right. or a teacher, a pro- right. if they read this, what would they think? But it's like, why do I think that? I'm not writing it for them. I'm writing it for Malachi and Matthew and Ben and, and these people. 
But I, I think about that in an inordinate way, which I think is just a fear of man and an idolatry. And you're kind of forced to confront that perhaps more than most people. Just, just be, I mean, there, there's some professions, perhaps traits, where you, you, you can be a perfectionist. Like right. Everything can be perfect yes. and exact. And, yeah. But especially uh, in, in ministry, pastoral ministry, I mean... Yeah, you got the fire. I mean, it's mm-hmm. just you can never say, "Oh, that was perfect." I no. said exactly what I wanted yeah. to say. Everything was said. Yes. They totally got it. Repented yeah. and it's just everything. It's just you're forced to confront that every day. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Which the Lord knew I needed, right? Right. Yeah. Let's put him into pastoral ministry. <laughs> um Matthew, are you a perfectionist? I am a perfectionist. He is. Look I, I'm looking hair. at that hair. Yeah, yeah, I, hair. yeah. It is perfect. There's one There's strand. There's not out one of place, strand. So is there? <laughs> no, I can't even see one. <laughs> no, I, I it's used been to be... bugging up all podcasts. <laughs> Good thing they can't see me. This is radio. <laughs> yeah. See if I turn that way. Oh, there it is. No. <laughs> oh man. No, I used to like even more so when I was younger. Uh, like whether it was a group project or something, I would like take the reins on it if it was like some creative thing we were doing i'm like okay like no that's not that's not what we're doing like i'm gonna do it this way like it had to be perfect or it had to be like you know to that that point where it's like this is its purpose and mm-hmm. and going through life going whether it would be in work or whatever it's like you can you might be able to get it to where you think it's perfect but you would have taken so long on it that it actually has no use, no value yeah. anymore. Yeah, right. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. It, yeah. It's actually very just freeing um, to acknowledge that ninety nine point point nine percent of things you're going to do aren't going to be perfect, oh, and yeah. that and that and that lets you do a lot more things. You can help people out. You can, you know. Even yeah. if it's not going to be perfect, if you're constantly worrying if this is going to be perfect, then you're going to just turn down a lot of good things you oh, could yeah. have done. Yeah. Maybe not perfectly, but fine. Yeah. yeah. Um, it just hearing you say that is uh, what he, what Chester said is um, what what are the two things that's good enough and um, the fine line between yeah sorry I'll find it. Uh, yeah. Anything worth doing is worth doing badly. Yeah, between that won't cut it and that is just fine. Yeah, that won't cut it and that's good enough. I think what I struggle with in my line of work, just thinking about what you were saying, Ben, is that how do I know when it's good enough? Right. So even if I'm like, it doesn't have to be perfect, I still, what is good enough? Yeah, there's no one coming by after saying, oh, yeah, you did a good job. Yeah, like, how do you even measure that? If you build something, you can look and say, that will stand. Yes. Right, like mm. that looks fine. I can actually measure that. But when you preach or when you write or when you have a conversation with someone, it, it, it's like, what what is good enough? And I mean, I ask Rebecca, I ask her one question after every sermon, and I only ask her one question: is was that clear? Because as far as I can tell, that's the only objective measurement and the thing that I can right. kind of control. And I just leave the rest with the Lord. But you even. Like I, I, I guess I have to even trust that it's good enough sometimes. You right. know what I mean? Yeah. And that's why encouragement is helpful and feedback and you know Yeah, just 
yeah, despair is just, is just always there. Yeah. yeah um, but it's an act of, of faithlessness to despair mm-hmm. just because God is always taking what is not perfect. And in yeah. fact, it's like, yeah. if yeah. we could see it from his perspective, probably yeah. like rags, yeah. and he makes something beautiful and wonderful out of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so that was only three questions, but I think we had some good discussion. Yeah. Uh, and I, I hope that's helpful to listeners. Um, I think... A lot of people and and us, as you can as you can hear, struggle with these things. Uh, but to know that God works through our weakness, we can do our best without being paralyzed. Um, yeah, I hope this is helpful, and we'll continue with uh, our principles next week. <laughs>